We are joined on the morning brief by Tim Hudak, former leader of Ontario's Conservatives. He's now at the Ontario Real Estate Association. Nice to have you, sir. Good morning, John Moore. Okay, so let's actually start with Bonnie Crombie. Um, She says that of the 80,000 new memberships for the provincial Liberals, she sold 40 of them. Um, So it would definitely seem that she's a bit of a juggernaut. Well, who knows? This is more an art than a science. Um, I I remember participating in the exact same thing, John, when the Ontario PC leadership race, it was a one member, one vote system and, and participating in others as a a campaign chair. This, I guess the more things change, more they stay the same. You always inflate your numbers. You could bet dollars to donuts. The total number of new voters claimed always exceeds the actual number who sign up for memberships by a factor, I'd say, of at least 40 to 50%. So you may be right. But the next phase is, doesn't matter how many you sign up, is getting those people out to vote. How do you motivate people who don't pay anything for a membership, may have been pressured to sign, may not even have signed up to go out and vote, um, and you need strong organizers in every part of the province to do so. Let, let me say the more important thing, though. I've fallen out of love with the system. This is the system that I was raised in, in the Ontario PC Party. It's the one I, I won with, but I've lost my love for it, John. Yeah. I think a one-member, one-vote system is easily corrupted with uh, with fake ballots. It rewards people who are active in politics, maybe only for a brief moment of a leadership campaign at all. You know, United Kingdom, the Conservatives there, have a one-member, one-vote system, but you have to have your membership uh, while, the, while the previous leader was, was in office. You don't have this big sort of uh, bake sale environment where you go and sell them for a nickel or for free. Uh, then you actually have people who are committed, you know, who work hard during campaigns, who, who know the candidates and know the politics. That's the kind of reform I would make when it comes to this one-member, one-vote system. Well, and it's not inconceivable that, uh, you know, somebody who is not a liberal would sign up because they want to vote for a candidate they think is a loser. <laughs> I guess I, I guess that's possible. They're, look, they're often motivated. Um, uh, for, I mean, the first one you go to is former members. You, you know, work them like, like heck to get them to sign up uh, again, your own networks. They tend to be uh, issues driven. But there have been lots of examples of parties where people have actually bought memberships, phony memberships, fixed the whole system. Look, it was an important reform for Mike Harris, actually, in 1990-something, 90, when he won the leadership. But it has become corrupted and stale. It's time for a change in all parties. Okay, and one thing I'm curious about, you made reference to the fact that it doesn't cost anything. I'm just, I'm on the page right now. Um, can you join the Ontario Liberal Party and it, there's, it's not even like 25 bucks? Yeah, so, no, free, free. Um, so this was uh, this has been a history in the Ontario Conservative Party. The New Democrats have a system where it's the basic member votes, but also unions get a certain number of votes. This is the first the Ontario Liberal Party of one member, one vote. And in the past, $10, $15 for Conservative members, they went for free this time. I just think, John, if you get something for free, you never appreciate it. So the opening arguments yesterday at uh, by the Crown at the trial of a man whose name I will not say, but the man who is accused of killing four members of a Muslim family, uh, it's appalling. I mean, he admits it. He says, I went out. I wanted to kill Muslims. Heinous, horrifying, uh, horror. I mean, the um, just just picture that, John. There's this this family walking down a, a street in London or whatever town you're in. Father, a mom, the gr- the grandmother, fifteen year old daughter, nine year old boy, just walking along the road enjoying family time. A car goes by them, makes a U turn. You're thinking, oh, they they're going the other way. They're speeding up, and you think, 
in the last second, my God, they're going to hit us. And, and the guy runs him over in, in cold blood. The nine-year-old boy survives. Four, four dead. I, I cannot even imagine that happening. I mean, good for, of course, revealing the kind of the evil that still lives with among us. Guy had a manifesto, plotted all of this. Um, but it is it is terrifying to know that people who could be down the street from you are capable of such awful behavior. Yeah, and I also can't believe, I think I saw that this trial is going to run for like eight weeks. And frankly, I thought, you know, just let's have done with it. Uh, the guy already said he did it, so I don't know why we have to get into the, that deep into the evidence, but I get it. That's how the criminal justice system works. Um, immigration quotas. Here is a complicated conversation that I think we need to have. And actually, it came up on our show yesterday, Tim, where somebody was talking about the housing crunch and saying, well, it's because we're letting too many immigrants in. And I thought it's a very uncomfortable conversation, but maybe if Canadians are not comfortable with this many newcomers, then we need to talk about it. Yeah, I, I definitely sense this issue has turned significantly in the last couple of years. I, I believe Canadians are still pro-immigration. We have a recognition that we're not producing enough kids to help fuel the next generation of workers and entrepreneurs and job creators to pay taxes to take care of the rest of us, you know, in our in our senior ages, protect health care and education. Like, I, I believe we know we need immigration and we're behind it. But it seems like we've put this on, you know, full speed ahead. Um, 465,000 immigrants per year going up to 500,000, John, you know, is a lot. And what we often lose track of, too, that's just purely immigration that's put on a quota. There is no cap in the number of students coming in, which is close to a, a million students in Canada per year from other countries here, and then other types of work permits that put it beyond that. So when you hear that Canada is number one in population growth, fueled 90-some percent by immigration in the OECD countries, I don't think that's where we want to be. Do we, do we want to be better than average? Absolutely. You know, this is a proud history of our country. It built it, but not to that extent. So here, here's what I think we need to do. We need to actually fix post-secondary system so they're not so reliant on bringing in every foreign student they can who actually do gobble up housing at the end of the day. I think we should be at the higher end, but certainly not at the top when it comes to new people coming into the country. And we should also make sure we fix our immigration system to better um, emphasize the importance of the traits. If we need to build new houses for population growth and those that don't have homes today, building bridges, building roads, building subways, building hospitals, let's make sure a point system reflects that by rewarding skilled trades when we do bring people in. Uh, Canadians are putting less importance on work. Um, I'm not entirely surprised by this. I mean, it's a study that they do every few years and they ask people about, you know, how important is work to you and your life vis-a-vis -vis everything else you do. And I think COVID was this stress test for everything that convinced an awful lot of people. I mean, I know a lot of people retired because of COVID. You may be right, although COVID struck pretty well everywhere, right? The, the notion that we have dropped in the survey to uh, the surveyed countries, but third, uh, less keen on, on workers and the importance of work, I actually find find concerning. I don't think we should be at the top. I, I, I think Canadians are kind of a balanced people. We're fair and reasonable. We do like to work hard, maybe less than we like to post-COVID, as you said, John. But I, I found this concerning. I figured Canada would probably be in the middle of the pack when it came to work-life balance, not near the bottom when it comes to the value of work. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess part of this is informed by my age because honestly, Tim, I sit at dinner now with friends and the conversation just keeps coming up. How do we see our retirement? Um, but I think it's more important to ask the question, you know, somebody who's 25 years old who's just getting into the system, how do they feel about work? How important is their work to them? Yeah, you, you, you may be right. The, I just don't see why Canada should necessarily be different from other countries, Germany, Sweden, U.S., France, all, all the Great Britain, the regular competitors, right? I actually do find it concerning because we we want to get ahead. We want to innovate. We want to create good things. We want a higher quality of life. you got to work to pay for those things. And if that drifts, that's not good for the long run. Good to have you, sir. Thank you very much. Have a much. terrific day. Yeah, okay. That is Tim Hudak from the Ontario Real Estate Association. That is the morning brief.